Amen, amen. All right, hey, give a hand to those Tijuana folks one last time. It's so fun, uh, man, it's so fun to just send uh, families into the nations. I mean, obviously, we are... We have a lot of college students in our church, and we love the opportunity that every summer we just get to fling people all across the globe. I mean, it's really an incredible privilege as a church that we get to do that. But it's, there's something unique about, you know, a, a husband and a wife taking two, three, four kids in tow and saying, hey, it's not just the college students that get to be radical, you know, it's, or it's not just the, the empty nesters whose kids are off that get to go do this fun stuff, you know, it's like, we can do it now, we can do it with our kids, so super proud of those guys, super fun, it's going to be awesome, and they're jumping in, this is just a cool little fact, they're jumping in with like four or five other Antioch churches for this massive outreach that's happening in Tijuana this week, so Antioch Houston, Antioch Dallas, Antioch Somewhere else, there's a bunch of churches all diving into this thing. There's going to be over like 150 people converging on uh, All People's Church in Tijuana over the next day or so, and uh, it's going to be fun. If you think about these guys this week, pray for them and their families. So my name is Chris. Uh, I'm the families pastor here. I know uh, a lot of you guys I know uh, very well. Some of you I don't know as well, but hope to. But we are kicking off a new summer series today and are really excited for just the, this summer season and what we feel like God has in store for us as a church family. We're going into a long summer series called Biblical, all right? So we are a people of spirit and truth, and we just want to be a people that are constantly looking to the Word of God to inform us, to direct us, to correct us, to empower and encourage us. So this summer, we're going to be looking at biblical marriage, biblical parenting, and biblical finances, all right? And so you might not be in a certain stage of your life or feel like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm not married yet, but I'm guessing if you're not married yet, you probably want to be married one day. I'm guessing if you don't have kids yet, maybe you hope to have kids one day. If you don't have any money yet, I'm hoping that one day you'll get some, you know? So wherever you're at in life, the Word of God informs us how to walk in wisdom in these areas. So I'm pumped. For the next three weeks, we're going to be diving into biblical marriage, all right? And I'm pumped. As the family's pastor, I kind of live in this world of marriage and and families and, and just constantly. We have some incredible families at this church, but, but just getting to dig into the nitty-gritty of, uh, w- with, our marriage, with our marriages and our families, it's a, it's a, it's a lot of fun. So I want to actually start by just sharing a part of my story when it comes to marriage and family because um, it's an absolute miracle that um, in just next month, on July 18th, my wife, who's up here, Arlena and I, we're going to be celebrating our 10-year wedding anniversary next month. And when I share a little bit of my story, you're going to see why that's such an amazing miracle. And, and so it's, an, it's a miracle that we're about to celebrate 10 years. It's also a miracle that I am the family's pastor of this church, okay? It is absolutely God taking the weak things of the world and showing his strength. I mean, I I was not on paper like, hey, this guy comes from generations of just healthy family and marriage and all this legacies of faith. Like, no, let's, let's find the guy that's the least qualified so that we know that God is involved, you know, and put him there. And, um, so I just want to share a little bit of my story. I, um, I grew up in Houston, 
and um, not, not in a Christian home. My parents really, I believe, did the best job that they could do to love us and support us, and they did a great job. My parents loved us, supported us. They, they gave us, they invested so much good into our lives, but, um, but there were some pieces missing, and, and by the time I was 14 years old, I was the oldest of three children, uh, my parents got a divorce. So going into my freshman year of high school, my parents divorced, and my junior year of high school, three years later, the beginning of my junior year, my dad got remarried, and my, the beginning of my senior year of high school, my mom got remarried. So from 14 to 18, I went from a my nuclear family of five, I was the oldest of three siblings, to I had two families now. By my senior year of high school, I had two set parents, and I had seven siblings. There were seven of us total, so three of us blood-related and four step-siblings. So what I knew of marriage and family in this critical window of my development and childhood from 14 to 18 just kind of exploded. And I honestly um, moved up to College Station my freshman year of college in 2001 to escape from all of that mess and to just kind of party my pain away. I just needed to, I just wanted to get away from all of that. And I came here and in the midst of my pain, in the midst of my brokenness, in the midst of me running away from God, uh, a lot of you have heard my testimony before, but God just reached in my freshman year of college, and totally rescued me through Jesus and pulled me in and just began to transform my life at a, just in, in amazing ways. And while Jesus pulled me out of kind of my pit and my darkness, it was really the church that came around me and became, and became a new family. And so I truly experienced what the Bible calls in Ephesians 2.19, the household of God. We just sang about it, actually, in one of the songs. I've been born again into a family. Your, your blood flows through my veins. We just sang that. I, I began to experience my freshman year that when Jesus saved me, he wasn't just saving me. He was actually pulling me into something that was already going on. He was pulling me into his family. And I began to experience the household of God. I was embraced by Christian brothers, Christian sisters, by mothers and fathers in the faith. And the church surrounded me after 18 years of brokenness and broken family and all this stuff. And the church became the place where I could heal. The church became the place where I learned a new way of life. The church became the place where people helped me to grow up and become a mature follower of Jesus and where brothers and sisters would call me out when I wasn't acting like one. It became the new household where I began to be raised within, the household of God. We're all longing for true family. It is a, one of the deepest desires and longings of every single human heart. It's part of being created in the image of God. Part of God's great design for humanity actually is that we exist in family with one another. We exist in community with one another. And it reveals so much of his nature, so much of how he created us to function as humans, created in his image, living in family, just like he does, right? God exists in relationship. Y'all know that, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Could we go so far as to say that the Trinity is a family? 
Could we go so far as to say that the Trinity is, was the first family, God existing in relationship? We see it all through the scripture. The, the members of the Trinity, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, honoring one another, existing in relationship with one another. We sang again this morning, in my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house. And so it really is a miracle that I, um, coming out of my broken family, my parents' broken marriage, and all this stuff, I'm a family's pastor. <laughs> it's ridiculous, actually. And, and so we're going we're gonna to open the lid on this marriage series today, but this message is a little bit more of a teaching on God's design for family. Because I think even more so than, than marriage, I think family is the design of God. And, and I, look, marriage is obviously at the core of, the fam, of a healthy family, right? They're inextricably connected. You can try to do family without marriage, right? But it, it doesn't work great. And our culture actually can try as hard as it wants to separate marriage and family, but you'll never be able to arrive at the good fruit of God's design by abandoning God's design. You know what I'm saying? You just can't. The fruit speaks for itself, and I'll probably get off on that soapbox a little bit more later, but I think part of my passion for healthy family personally was actually birthed from my parents' failed marriage, was actually birthed from living in this broken family for 20 years. And, and I love my parents. And guys, they have, I have like sought over the years to, to reconcile with my family as much as possible. And God has a way of redeeming those places. And, and there are a lot of good things that have come into my life from my parents and my family. But I've lived in the effects of broken family for the last 20 years of my life. For the last 20 years of my life, every time I went home for Thanksgiving, Every time I went home for Christmas, every holiday, every birthday, every time we had a new kid, I mean, everything that is connected in any way to my blood-related relatives over the last 20 years was a reminder of, oh, this thing broke. Oh, I actually haven't been in a room alone with my mom and dad in 20 years. That's weird. You know, like, I, there's, there's just so much brokenness in that place, and so I think that out of that place, I have this deep conviction that if we can get marriage and family right, we actually can change the world. And I believe that it's one of the primary callings that God has on our church here in College Station, that we would help this city become a city set on a hill. I believe it for the last four years since I've been the family pastor of this church, my prayer has been, Lord, someday, Someday, U.S. News and World Report is going is to release their new list of the top five best cities in America to raise a family, and College Station is going to be number one. That is the prayer, and, and it's not just a cry in my heart. I really believe that God is wanting to do something unique in this city and wanting to do something unique through our church. I don't know why. I can't explain it, but I believe he has entrusted us with a unique assignment to see families healed, repaired, restored, that, that College Station would become a city on a hill. Literally, that the divorce rates in College Station would be lower than anywhere else in the nation. That, that would be one of the best places to raise a family, one of the safest places to raise a family, that the satisfaction levels of marriage and family life, that this city, that it would thrive in our midst. And so I believe that it's a calling that we have, but beyond that, I just want us this morning to look at what 
the word of God has to say about marriage and family. I want to look at what God has to say about these things because I think that we will find that whether you're married today or not, whether you have kids yet or not, these things are at the core and center of God's heart for the redemption that he is working in our world. I believe that you cannot have a healthy gospel restoration of the planet outside of a healthy family restoration. You can't, you can't do it. And I want to show us why. So flip to Genesis 1. We're going to look at three passages this morning in the Word. We're going to look at Genesis 1, Deuteronomy 6, and Ephesians 5. And I'm just going to, we're just going to get into the Scripture, and I'm just going to preach a little bit. And I think we're going to get pulled in, I'm hoping, to a larger view and vision of marriage and family than maybe we've, we've had before. So Genesis 1, 26 and 28, you guys are familiar with this passage, I'm sure. Opening chapters of the scriptures, this amazing scene at the beginning of the creation of man and woman. God said, let us make man in our image. Let us. God exists in a family. From the very beginning, they're looking around each other. The family of God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're saying, hey, let's make man in our image, in our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Don't miss this. Male and female, he created them. Let's make man in our image, and he created them. He didn't create a one, he created a them. He created a community. I know we get into the story, and the man came first, and then the woman, but it's all one thing. He created a family, and he blessed them. He blessed them. He didn't bless him. He didn't bless her. He blessed them. Can we get 28 up there, 128? He blessed them. And he said to the family, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing's thing that moves. The mandate to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth and subdue it was not given to an individual. It was given to a couple. It was given to a man and woman. It was given to a married couple. I want to pull our attention to two different things here. I want to pull our attention to image and dominion. I want to unpack these things a little bit. Image and dominion. Male and female, he created them in his image so that when male and female would come together and unite as one, they would be able to represent the image of God. Another way to say the word represent is re-present. So a man actually cannot present the image of God to the world by himself. A, neither can two men. A woman cannot present the image of God to the world by herself. Neither can two women. It is only when a male and a female come together as one flesh that they are able to represent the image of God and all who he is to the world. Man and woman come together as one flesh to show the world what God is like. And it is in that place that they can begin to multiply and to have dominion 
over the earth. As they come together in healthy unity, they can subdue the earth through family because they begin to, as a family, display his splendor by walking in the wisdom of his ways. I'm not saying that you have to be married and have to be in a family to display the splendor of God. I'm saying in this passage, in Genesis 1, 26 through 28, the command to subdue the earth is given in the context of a husband and wife joining together and being fruitful and multiplying. It was God's plan A. Why did the earth need to be subdued? We preached on this months ago. The earth needed to be subdued because Satan, the angelic rebellion, the darkness that had filled planet earth in rebellion to God needed to be dealt with. God's chosen instrument to subdue the darkness was to create a man and a woman and give the job to them and their family. So family's not just about your cool house and your white picket fence, and marriage isn't just about your satisfaction and your soulmate and your happiness. These things are central to the mission of God on planet Earth, to fill it with his glory, to push back the darkness, and to redeem all things in his name. This is why God created the man and the woman. But to do these things, to step into this dominion, requires something. It requires something that for thousands of years, humans have tried to get, a, to, to get rid of, frankly, and to do it our own way. But it, it actually requires obedience. And so flip with me to Deuteronomy 6. This is really part two of this mandate, I believe, to married couples and to families I think we're going to see here that obedience is a prerequisite for dominion. Dominion being true spiritual authority over the planet. Spiritual authority over the planet was given away by Adam and Eve when they followed after the serpent, right? It was given away. And all of history has been this process of God restoring true spiritual authority over the planet to Adam and Eve through Jesus who came and took it back. But true dominion over the planet requires us walking in obedience with God, in obedience under him. And in Deuteronomy 6, we're going to read some verses here together. Check it out. This is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord, your God, commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your sons and your sons' sons, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I commanded you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly. Did you catch it? That you may multiply, be fruitful, and multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Can you guys see how obedience in this passage, three different times, he says, do the commandments, keep the statues, do the command." He's like saying, obedience is a prerequisite for us stepping into this mandate and actually multiplying greatly in a way that's going to s- subdue the earth. Look, there's plenty of people multiplying greatly on our planet, and they're not helping subdue the darkness in the earth. They're not. They're actually filling the earth with a bunch more mess because they're multiplying 
outside of obedience to God. And so the offspring that they are creating are not carrying on the commands of God and living the wisdom and righteousness of God. The offspring that they're producing are perpetuating the same disobedience and the same brokenness and the same sin that the parents were walking in. It's not that you can't multiply if you're disobeying God. There's plenty of that going on. It's just we cannot actually subdue the darkness. We cannot actually fulfill the mandate to fill the world with God's glory unless we're actually obeying God. And so he goes on here that the obedience, though, is not just about mom and dad. Check this out in verse 4. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God. You guys have heard this before, right? You shall love him with all your heart, soul, and might. And these words I command to, should be on your heart. Verse 7, this is key. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. The, 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 notice what it doesn't say. You shall take your family to church once a week on Sunday and drop them off and somebody else will tell them about God every once in a while. No, it actually says, hey, mom and dad, you want to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it? Then obey me and then diligently teach your children to obey me also. When you're going to the supermarket, when they're fighting over the toys, when you're walking down the street, when he wants the scooter instead of the bike, teach them, teach them when you lie down and when you rise how to obey me, how to follow me, how to walk in my ways. Families growing together in obedience is how we subdue the earth. And so I understand we're probably coming all across the more. There, there are folks in here this morning that are, have been through multiple divorces. There are folks here this morning that have never been married and want to be married and are waiting on God. We're all across the spectrum here. I understand. So please he, hear my Heart. We're all on a journey, and the blood of Jesus is covering and restoring and rebuilding, and there's always forward movement where we're submitted to Jesus, okay? But every marriage that fails, every broken family, every parent that ignores Deuteronomy 6 is actually surrendering territory to the enemy and perpetuating the darkness of the planet. You see what I'm saying? Healthy marriage and family, like I said earlier, is not just about our enjoyment and happiness. It's actually about the kingdom of heaven flourishing on the earth and pushing back the enemy. Are you with me? Is it any surprise then that Satan directs so much of his energy at destroying our families? Is it any surprise? And unfortunately, our country over the last 50 to 60 years has been increasingly deceived, and the state of the American family right now can only be described as totally devastated. Totally devastated. I have lived in the last 20 years of it, and God works all things for good, and he does things in the midst of it, but it's devastating. Look around our country, divorce and fatherlessness and infidelity and adultery and same-sex marriage, which by physiological definition cannot fulfill God's design for family. So if we destroy the family, we actually destroy any hope of filling the earth with godly people who can subdue the darkness. And guys, it's not just out there in the world. 
It's in here, in this church, in this room. But do you see why marriage is so important? Do you see why, whether you're married or not, can you see why marriage and family is at the tip of God's design for restoring these things? And I just, I mean, I need y'all to know, as family's pastor, okay, I'm usually not just pulled into like minor marital spats, okay? I don't get phone calls because like we had an argument over how many nuggets to get at Chick-fil-A, all right? I'm like pulled in because there's a couple in crisis and their marriage is in free fall because one or usually both of the spouses are buried in some sin or pride position and something is threatening to really ruin their whole family. Those are, that's like the norm for me. And I'm, I'm 36, okay? So I'm not, I've only been married 10 years. I realize there are a lot of you guys who could probably do much better marriage counseling than me, but that's, those are the calls that I get pulled into. And it is so clear that the enemy is seeking to steal and kill and destroy marriages and families. And I'm gonna be honest, like in this church, you would, you would cringe at some of the stories, some of the stories that happen in this, it's not just out there, it's in here. You would cringe, it would break your heart, but then you would be blown away by how the gospel and the blood of Jesus and the way of the kingdom can restore, repair, and rebuild seemingly impossible situations. I've seen it time and time again you would be blown away. Just this last week, I sat down with a couple that was in total free fall, and, and I told them, I was honest, I said, look, your situation is heartbreaking. This is significant brokenness that's coming to the surface, and I'm actually pretty overwhelmed by what you just told me. But I said, here's what I know. If the two of you are both willing to humble yourselves, to take responsibility for your own sin, to extend and receive forgiveness through Jesus, then anything is possible. Anything is possible. But where there's not humility and forgiveness, I'm sorry, but honestly, there's no hope for your marriage. That's what I say. And that's not just what I said to them on Thursday. That's what I've said to probably half a dozen of you guys sitting in this, this building today when we walked through your crisis. I mean, you know who you are. I mean, it's right here in this room. And it's not just the members of our church. I mean, I bet every single pastor on our staff, every single person on our staff could share with you their significant hardship of their marriage that was more painful, frustrating, discouraging than they ever imagined. I can't speak for them, but I can speak for myself. Arlena and I, I said, you guys all clapped and cheered because we're about to celebrate 10 years next month, but our five-year anniversary, our marriage was in free fall. We had just had our first kid, Caleb, I had a job transition. I started working from home, which, by the way, is not the greatest recipe for marital success, okay? <laughs> and six months into our firstborn child, I mean, we looked at each other, and I mean, both of us, thankfully, it was we were in agreement on this one thing, that we didn't like each other at all. Like, <laughs> I don't like you right now. Like, this is not fun. Like, Sharing life with you is like all the good feelers, all the fun stuff, the marriage emotions, like, like they're pretty much all gone. I don't, I don't like being married to you right now. This is not the, 
this is not the dream that I thought we were signing up for. And it was hard. And it was gut-wrenching. And I never thought that my marriage would feel that way. Never thought. And of course, you know, I'm immediately freaking out because my parents divorced at 14, right? And so all I know is that when things get really hard like that, you just eject and start over. And actually, do you know that most marriages in our country only last an average of five years? Almost every single marriage, they hit a hard spot in year five and they eject and they start over. And the sad thing is they then go and get remarried to somebody else and they relive the worst five years all over again with somebody else and then they eject from that one. It's so sad. But you know what we did? We pressed into God. We pressed into our community. We brought in friends on both sides who said, we need help. We don't like each other. This isn't going well. We walked in the light with our friends. We spent time with Jesus. We pressed into life group. Our life group prayed for us. We kept coming here on Sunday mornings and asking God for breakthrough. And guys, it didn't happen overnight. But a few months later, man, we began to say, hey, this, okay, I think we're regaining some ground here. I, I you know, kind of actually liked having dinner with you tonight a little bit, you know? And <laughs> Guys, a year and a half goes by, and I'm telling you the truth. We went on an anniversary trip for our seven-year anniversary. So it was about 18 months after this all, all had started. And we go on this trip for our seven-year anniversary, and, and I just remember, I just remember um, sitting with Arlena on that trip and looking at her seven years, and, and I just remember feeling more in love, feeling in that moment. A lot of feelings had gone for a while, but in that moment, feeling more in love with her than I ever thought was possible. And I just remember thinking at that point, man, I'm so glad I didn't eject at year five. I would have missed this right now. And I also would have missed out on a couple more kids because maybe we've had some more kids since there, right? And so it's like God's continuing to, to do things. And at that seven-year mark, I was just like, wow, we made it through the valley of the shadow of death, that we made it through. And so now every time we kind of miss each other, we have a, a hard week or month, it's like, okay, this is temporary. We're going to be all right. And it's just sad to me that there's so much at stake in these things. This isn't just about our happiness, right? If we remember all the Genesis 1 and the Deuteronomy 6, it's like, this isn't just about our happiness. I mean, these struggles are real. These hardships are real. This is about the kingdom of God in our midst, you know? This is about the battle between light and darkness. And I'm so thankful. And as we, as we turn the corner for 10 years, I, I mean, I just, I'm so grateful for Jesus, so grateful for this community. I'm so grateful for the restoration that happens. There's a, a preacher named Tim Keller, and he, he says this thing about marriage, and really it's not just about marriage, it's about God, it's about life, but he says that when we choose to love somebody in spite of our feelings, that deeper feelings grow. Think about that. If that's not a great summary of, of covenant, which that's really what we had to do in those days. We had to dig into our covenant. All the feels were gone, and we had to say, we're in a covenant, and we're going to choose each other, and we're going to press through, and we're going to choose to seek God, and we're going to choose to walk in the light. And when we choose to love somebody 
in spite of how we may feel about that person in that day, we are depositing into actually having deeper feelings for that person in the future, which my seven-year anniversary proved, which my 10-year anniversary is proving. That when you will love somebody and choose covenant, even when you don't feel like it, you will emerge on the other side of that thing. I can't tell you how long it's going to take, but I can tell you that the word of God proves true. The word of God proves true. I want to invite you guys to stand up and remember the band come up this morning. For the sake of time, we're not going to dive into Ephesians 5 this morning, unfortunately. I always go a little bit longer than I was planning. But I, I want to encourage every married couple in the room. I want to encourage you, married couples, I'm, I'm serious. Go read Ephesians 5, 15 through 33 this week. Because... Most married couples, you guys know that Ephesians 5 is like kind of one of the bedrock New Testament passages for marriage, right? It's where the, the ever controversial wives submit to your husbands, husbands love your wives. That's where it's Ephesians 5. But here's what's amazing and what the Lord showed me this week, and I don't want to miss the opportunity to say this. The most powerful New Testament passage about marriage in Ephesians 5 do you know what it's preceded by? The passage right before the husbands and wives and all that, literally the five verses right before it is the most famous New Testament passage about the spirit-filled life. Do you think that that's coincidental? Do you think that's coincidental that Paul saved his best stuff on being filled with the Holy Spirit right before he looked at a married couple and said, now... Submit to one another, actually, he says. Before he says anything to the wives, he says, submit to one another out of your reverence for Jesus. And then he looks at the wife and says, in, as Christ is head of the household, the husband's the head of the wife, submit to your husband. And husbands, you've actually got the harder job in this deal. Lay down your life for your wife like Jesus did for the church. That means pick up your cross, man of God, and die to yourself and get over yourself and choose to love somebody for once when it's going to cost you something. Choose to love somebody for once when it's not easy. Choose to love somebody for once when you're not getting your way all the time. Man of God, lay down your wife for your wife. Men, if you're here this morning and you have not been doing your job as a husband, I better see you on Tuesday morning at 6.30. I better see you out in the foyer. I am serious. I better see you out of the foyer in about six minutes signing up for the resolution. And I want you to get this book in your hands and I want you to come with us on this journey to becoming the husbands we're called to be. I'm serious. Where's your baggage with marriage and family? I don't know what your story's like. I don't know what your household was like growing. I don't know how many divorces you've had. I don't know what your marriage is like right now. But I know before we can go any further in this marriage series this summer, there's pain that we've got to deal with from our past. There's some baggage that we've got to check at the door on this deal 
I want to go ahead and invite our prayer team to come up to the front this morning for our response time because I think we're going we're gonna to need some prayer today. God's design for these things is beautiful, you guys. And, and, but trust me, I get it that the pain is real. The pain from your past is real. I get it. The pain from your family growing up, the pain from your parents and their marriage, the pain from your own failed marriage, the pain from your current marriage struggles, I get it that this pain is real and it's hard. The pain of waiting. But since when was difficulty reason enough to quit? What would have happened to humanity? What would have happened to humanity if Jesus was halfway up the hill to Calvary, beaten, bleeding, and broken, languishing under the weight of the cross, and just decided to stop? Never mind, guys. This is too hard. Is there a doctor around here you can take me to if we get some of this stuff stitched up? What would have happened if halfway up the hill Jesus stopped because it was hard? Just quit. I believe, church, that we have an invitation from the Lord to see this city established on a city on a hill if we will not quit, if we will fight for our marriages, if we will fight for our healthy families. Will you commit, if you're a part of this family, Will you commit to fighting for your marriage and your family? Will you commit to coming up here and getting whatever prayer you need to get over whatever hump you're stuck on in your marriage? Will you commit to go with us on this journey this summer so that we can do our part? I don't know about everyone else out there, but so that we as this family, can we do our part? Let's not stop halfway up the hill. We'll never be be a city on top of the hill if we quit halfway up because it was hard. In due time, we will reap if we do not give up. These guys are here to pray with you this morning. Whatever you need, we're just going to let the Holy Spirit do what he can do. I want to encourage you. If you've got pain from your family, marriage, family stuff, I want to encourage you to come receive prayer. Married couples, Find another married couple. Say, pray for us. We want to go on a journey this summer. Things aren't good, but we want to see them good. Jesus, we invite you to come and do what only you can do. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come and touch our hearts and the places where we need to be touched by you. Jesus, would you come with your Restoration. You are the king of rebuilding impossible situations. You're the king of restoring and repairing broken things. So just go ahead and begin to come. If you need prayer this morning, just come. Just come and let the Lord begin to touch you. Let the Lord give you your hope back this morning. Let the Lord give you your hope for your future back this morning. Married couples especially. There's a journey ahead of us. We're going up the hill. We're not going to start. We're not going to stop halfway. We're going to press in with Jesus. We're going to make it, and we're going to see the resurrection on the other side of it. Lord Jesus, come. Do what only you can do in our hearts today. Amen.